This episode is presented by Gorgeous. Did you know that loyal customers are nine times more likely to convert compared to first-time shopper? That's why exceptional customer service is so important for your retention and growth. Gorgeous combines all of your communication channels, including email, SMS, social media, live chat, and phone, all on a one platform and gives you an organized view of all tickets. This saves your support team hours per day and makes managing customer orders a breeze. Book a demo at Gorgeous.com. That's G-O-R-G-I-A-S.com today and mention the Consumer VC podcast for two months free. Hello, and welcome to The Consumer VC. I am your host, Mike Gelb, and on this show, we talk about the world of venture capital and innovation in both consumer technology and consumer products. If you're enjoying this content, you could subscribe to my newsletter, theconsumervc.substack.com to get each new episode and more consumer news delivered straight to your inbox. Thank you, Ben Zizes, for the introduction to our guest today, Jordan Nathan. Jordan is a founder and CEO of Caraway. Caraway crafts well-designed, non-toxic ceramic cookware, thoughtfully designed for any type of home. On this episode, we discussed why he decided to start a cookware brand when the market seemed saturated, his approach to growth, and what it was like raising his first round of fundraising, and much, much more. Without further ado, here's Jordan. Jordan, how are you today? Doing great. Thanks for having me. Oh, thank you so much for coming on. What was your initial attraction to e-commerce and entrepreneurship? Um, I've always had a, a fascination with just consumer products. Uh, as, as a consumer myself, um, I've always been someone who likes to, to look at every product out there before I make my final decision and have always really high quality products that are, are very design driven. And actually coming out of my college degree, I, I launched the first company that was a e-commerce marketplace built for direct to consumer brands and really was kind of always attracted to this category. And I think, you know, most of that comes back to just being a everyday consumer. That's awesome. That's awesome. I really appreciate you sharing. And I know that you also did a lot of work working with Amazon brands, right? That's right. What were some of your learning during that experience and maybe what is misunderstood about growing and scaling on on Amazon? Sure. Yeah, so I joined Mohawk Group in early, I think, 2015 as a brand manager for Vremi, which was one of their kitchen brands, and had an incredible experience there launching over 200 kitchen products, did everything from pricing to sourcing to the marketing and logistics, and everything we sold was Amazon first. It was a great marketplace to reach scale very quickly with products, um, but it is a search-based platform. So, you know, if there are X amount of people searching per day, that doesn't really change too much over time. It grows as fast as Amazon grows, but you can almost take a product to its max kind of sales velocity fairly quickly. Um, so that was pretty interesting strategy. So we definitely leaned a lot towards launching more products than, you know, I think traditional brands because that's really the fastest way to get to scale. And then on Amazon, you kind of lose your branding and your own ability to educate consumers. You're sitting next to other products. And so 
you know, when you think about the hero image that you're using or how to stand out within search results, that becomes much more important than, let's say, your, your website where you might be using more lifestyle photography. That's actually really helpful, just how to approach it on the photography side and as well as, as optimizing the listing for search, since obviously um, Amazon search is uh, so, so powerful. And I know that a lot of consumers now are going directly to, uh, to use Amazon search bar, not Google, which is amazing. What do you think as well? I mean, it seems like in Amazon, they're giving brands a bit more power now. Some email marketing tools, I think they're still in beta on this, but you still can't access the emails of the customers that you that actually purchased, but you are able to use their kind of email to actually talk about purchasing more product. What do you think about that strategy? I think it's very hard to build a brand on, on Amazon. It's a great platform to get to high revenues quickly. You're, you're reaching a lot of customers. It's, it's search-based, but consumers who are coming to the platform are individuals who want something fast, who want something cheap, and reviews play a really big role in what you're building. And so, you know, different than maybe the direct-to-consumer landscape or retail landscape, you know, consumers aren't choosing brands based off their values or what the missions are. And while Amazon has given brands more tools today, you can actually build some, it's called A-plus listings, but you can build some branding within each of your listings. You can definitely send some follow-up emails. You still lack that kind of one-to-one connection because the the relationship the consumer has is with Amazon and not you directly. So while you know, I think there are tools to showcase your branding, you don't get that full moment to storytell and and how consumers are shopping are you know what's the best product, how can I get fast, and how can I get it cheapest. And so they're not really paying attention to the brands they're actually buying from. Um, I think off the top of my head, uh, there's a brand called Anchor, which sells headphones and USB ports and things like that. And I would say they're like the one brand that's maybe been built on Amazon. In my opinion, it's easier to build the brand first off of Amazon and then come onto the platform later on. No, that's interesting. That's interesting too, just how you think about it. Um, yeah, and I have I have a lot of Anchor products, actually. I think they're great. What was the insight that led you to founding Caraway? Yeah, so I was spending two and a half years in the kitchen category, launching dozens and dozens of SKUs. And through that process, did a lot of product testing. And one night I actually left my Teflon fry pan that that I was testing on my my burner for about 45 minutes accidentally. No food in it. Uh, My apartment ended up being filled with fumes and I felt lightheaded and nauseous and uh, obviously turned off the, the the stove and called poison control. And they let me know that I was likely exposed to Teflon poisoning from the overheated pan. And having been in the category, it's really crazy to say or think, but never really paid attention to the materials that were being used in, in cookware and kitchenware. I kind of you know anticipated or felt that what was out there was probably safe, um, just like a lot of other categories. And once I dug into it more, really found how dangerous Teflon is as a material. It's linked to you know, 10 types of cancers, uh, behavioral issues. Um, There's actually studies now showing that it can increase the chances of getting COVID and also as a material that doesn't break down in the environment. And having spent time in the kitchen category, I felt equipped to go and launch my own brand, but wanted to focus on building something that was built around safety and non-toxic materials. Um, And then I would say in tandem with that, just from talking with friends or my own experience, Every brand out there within the kitchen, I never really felt like I myself connected with. They were just a product sitting in my kitchen. They didn't look good. I didn't care about the brand or their mission or values. And you know, many of them were touting bringing professional tools into my home when in fact, I'm just a, a very average cook and I want something that looks good and cleans up fast and 
you know, teaching me how to cook or showing a chef using the products just wasn't attractive. So I felt there was a big opportunity to pair the non-toxic with a brand that was easy to use and focused a little bit more on the design side when it came to brand positioning. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, a brand that's very accessible to people. I'm also an average cook. I mean, I'm sure you're a much better cook than I am. That's certainly up my alley. So what were some of like the nuances um, in how you approached the actual design for Caraway when you were first thinking about this concept? Definitely. Well, we're a, a very design first brand. You know, as you can see, we have a lot of colors. We have a lot of interesting shapes that are integrated into the products. And I think the most important thing for us when designing the product was how do we design something for how people live today? And, you know, I think part of that was building in the nonstick capabilities, making something that was really easy to clean. The other piece of it was we found that a lot of consumers had issues with how to store their cookware. It's big, it's bulky. How does it fit in your cabinets? Where does it live? And so we came up with this idea of including storage with the actual cookware set, which no one's really done. If you're out in the market today and you buy a standard cookware set, you kind of have to fend for yourself or build your own solution or buy something separate. And that really tied back to wanting to build products for the everyday user. Um, and then lastly, we wanted something that was really a statement maker. Um, I think we like to reference almost the KitchenAid stand mixer as this product that sits in everyone's home and you kind of know what it is out of the corner of your eye. It's got incredible colors um, and there was nothing like that within really any other product category. So we, we continually, you know, thought through and, and explored how do we create something that's beautiful, you're proud to leave it out and integrates colors that maybe don't exist today within your kitchen. It's a lot more challenging. It takes longer um, to find factories that meet our sustainability initiatives. It takes longer to find factories who are willing to change maybe their supply chain or their manufacturing capabilities to meet that. And that comes at a cost. You know, it, it increases the price of the product, which is something that we, you know, are okay with on our end, of course, because, you know, we, we want to create products that create a safer environment. Um, and then the other pieces, we're, we're very design-centric. So a lot of the things we want to do typically in product development can't be done, have never been done, um, or would require a manufacturer to change their whole assembling process. And so when we are looking for factories, it's maybe one out of five or one out of 10 can meet all those criteria and are willing to make changes to their sustainability initiatives or how they produce or how they, they make products. And so it's, it's been a challenging process to find the right factories, but once we do, we've got really great partnerships and the cookware was, was definitely one where we were lucky to find a partner who was willing to work with us on you know, all the areas we wanted to improve. What was your initial go-to market strategy? After all these things came together, how you designed the product, uh, you had the supply chain in order. Walk us through like maybe like your first batch and how you thought about making the brand positioning come to life. Yeah, so we launched on November 5th, 2019. Um, and prior to that launch date, we did a ton of work to position ourselves to have a successful launch. So one of those initiatives was building our email list. We actually built our pre-launch wait list to about 150,000 users. It was a really great base to work off of when we launched. The other two things that we did, which you know, I think is part of the reason we were able to get the word out so fast was very early on, we built relationships with editors at publications. Um, we built relationships with the affiliate teams at publications and got them excited about the brand. And when it came time to launch, we were able to secure a lot of major press hits 
um, very early on because we built those early relationships. And then the third thing we did, which was super exciting and, and is a big piece of Caraway today, but we gifted, I think, 100 or 150 influencers for launch day. We sent them the cookware sets and we had 100 people post. I don't remember if it was the first day or the first week, but it almost created this tidal wave of, of interest. And you had all these influencers talking about the pots. It drove people to the website. Then you had press driving to the website as well. And it really got the word out and it got people to the website, which then later you know, came into our marketing funnels and our email funnels. And you know, for a $400 product, it's hard to get someone to buy the second they see it. And so that initial traffic and that email list was really how we launched the brand. And it wasn't until much later where we started doing things like Facebook and Google and some of the paid channels. That's awesome. You know, I've been reading a lot about companies that have amazing affiliate networks or amazing amazing ambassadors. I was reading the other day about Maker's Mark and how they have like an incredible ambassador program. How do you think about capturing that buy-in, having just really powerful partners that are people of influence? Yeah, it's crucial. And and I would say with affiliate, we kind of, as you mentioned, two parts to the, the general program. One is the publications. It's great to have advocates who are speaking on behalf of the brand that have authority in the space and you know will continually work to, to promote you. And then on the other side, something unique we've built at Caraway is our brand ambassador program. Today, we have over a thousand influencers, mostly, mostly on Instagram, definitely trying to expand to, to some YouTube and TikTok influencers. But you know, getting people who really love the product, who are excited to share it to their audience. And for them, a lot of influencers, as you can imagine, are, are posting about what they're cooking or posting about their kitchens or what's in their home. And giving them an opportunity to monetize that content is you know, something that we've been, been working with them on. And our ambassadors are a huge reason why Caraway is where it is today. And it's just so helpful to have a group that really believes in the brand and mission and is authentically you know, speaking towards products that they want to promote. Totally, totally. No, I appreciate those insights. Uh, Want to talk a little bit about COVID too. Did Caraway benefit from the pandemic? We definitely did. Uh, got very lucky that we were on the, the right side of, of the pandemic. You know, we only launched, let's see, four or five months before the pandemic hit. We also had just closed a fundraising round maybe a week or two prior to that as well. So talk about luck. We closed around then that hit. And then we also were almost at that six months mark where we had been enough in the market where you start seeing a lot of word of mouth and compounding growth. And you know people are trapped at home, they're cooking more, they're taking money that was using towards travel or experiences and optimizing their, their office space or their kitchens. And so the whole category just took off. We're still trying to catch up, but over the past 18 months, we've actually been out of stock more than we've been in stock because of the de- demand and people spending money in the home. It's ever fun to be out of stock. Of course, you want to get in stock as much as possible. But at the same time, it's also a great sign. And I know that your growth um, exploded over pandemic. So, I mean, congratulations. That's just, that's awesome. Why did you decide to fundraise and what was your fundraising strategy? Sure. So we kind of raised two rounds. We raised uh, 5.3 million total so far to date. And one was a pre-seed round, which we used to fund the, the business to get to market. That was a really challenging round because it was just myself as a single founder. I had no product to show, no branding to show. And you know, unfortunately, I didn't have the capital myself or, or friends and family network to help even push the, the brand even a little bit. 
And so uh, I spent a lot of time just doing cold emails. And we ended up with a group of over 100 investors between the two rounds. And then our second round, we raised right after we launched. But you know, initially, we needed the fuel to get the brand to market and then actually sustain the brand once it launched. And you know, we kind of took a route of bringing on a, a ton of smaller investors to support the business, which has you know, paid dividends over time because there isn't any company or opportunity that we want to get in front of that we don't have access to because we've got such a great network of investors. That's awesome. That's really cool. At the pre-seed, what was the biggest hang-up that investors had on the business? Yeah, I think the couple things. One was we were the last cookware brand to come to market in the D2C space and fundraise. So when I was going out, there were other brands launching and or had launched a good five plus. And I came in front of a lot of investors and they were like, oh, another cookware brand. Um, you know, they had seen so many before they couldn't tell the difference. And uh, many investors were just like, well, I'll wait till everyone gets to market and then I'll pick the winner next round. So that, that was a big challenge for us. The other challenge was I had no branding, I had no product, I was a single founder, and that was challenging. Typically, investors like teams with multiple founders, many D2C brands come to bigger fundraises with the branding done, with the physical product, and you know, imagine being in their shoes, how do you invest in something where you can't visualize the product or, or see the branding, and you need to put the trust in a founder to hope that they do it right. And so you know, all those factors made that a, a challenging raise. I think the first, the first round took almost 10 months to fully close for us. Wow, that's very resilient too that you suck with it. That's awesome. What do you think got you past the noise or were able to kind of leapfrog others? Yeah, I, I think on one hand, there, there's always a advantage to going first, but uh, you know that puts you in a position where others can see where to kind of ideate around you. And so coming in last with things like photography and product and positioning and even growth strategy, we were able to pinpoint where the, the pockets where other brands weren't going um, and then kind of adjust our strategy through the, the brand development process. So, you know, coming to market, I think we came in with a pretty unique perspective of taking on uh, Teflon head on. No one was doing that. You know, most other D2C brands, which are, you know, other positionings, and I think there are certainly markets for, were maybe a little bit more focused on the professional audience or a little bit more food focused. And for us, we were able to, to really hone in on. Yes, we make great products, and yes, they, they cook awesome, but you know, we're going to focus more on the design and the materials and position this as a home decor brand. And so you know, a lot of those pieces came together as a result of, of reacting to the market. And you know, we are also able to launch with some marketing strategies where we saw some of the other brands just had not taken advantage of yet. So I had on um, Ernesto Schmidt, who's the founding partner of The Craftery, which is a um, growth stage consumer brands focused fund. And he said that, which I thought was interesting, is you have to be on Amazon. It shows that you actually have validation for your brand to consumers. Because the first thing that consumers will do once they get off the website is go to the Amazon listing to make sure that you're on Amazon. Do you agree? I mean, your strategy, I think, is quite different. So I'd love to know how you think about Amazon in relation to Caraway. I don't know if people leave the website to go to Amazon. I think they typically are starting their searches on Amazon or Google. And I think every product category and every brand is different depending on what you want to build. But I think to be successful on Amazon, and this ties back to who you are as a brand and, and probably how you price, if you're a brand and you're just launching, 
to be successful on Amazon, you need to be able to be dynamically willing to change your price on an hourly or day-to-day basis because the way to sell on Amazon is to be organically ranked at the top of uh, searches. So if someone searched cookware, um, we at Caraway would want to be at the top. And as a new brand that people don't know, especially one that's priced at the higher price point of the market, it's very hard to maintain a first page ranking if no one knows who you are. In order to maintain that ranking, you probably need to manipulate your price. And so, you know, I I think my counter to that thought is I think you first need to build the brand, especially if you're a brand that maybe prices higher. Um, And then you can move on to the platform where uh, you don't have to adjust your price. People know what it is. Uh, People start searching for your products. And I think at that point, you can be successful. I think it's tough to go the other way around, depending on where your positioning and your price point is. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. I mean, also, I think tying to your point, I think people that might be searching for cookware on Amazon, it might not be like the right customer then for you that you're actually looking for. Definitely. And you get customers who are Amazon customers leave a lot of bad reviews. Think about as a consumer, if you complain to Amazon, they give you the refund and and that's that. And it's a tough marketplace when it comes to reviews. It's, It's something to be mindful of. And the thing we always think about is, well, if someone's searching for Caraway on Amazon and they don't find it, they're going to come to our website and we're going to capture that sale. Do you have any incidences where um, you looked at review and you actually maybe changed product design or maybe changed some of your positioning or even some of your marketing copy because of a review? Definitely. I mean, we have over 15,000 reviews on our site today and they are a great source of, of helping convert new customers, but they're also a great way to, to hear from customers on what they like or don't like. You know, for example, um, early batches we had had challenges with scratching or maybe the nonstick didn't perform as well as, as expected, or maybe there was something about the packaging that was confusing. So it's a great process to be able to get those reviews. And then in tandem, as you gain customers, you get this list of people who hopefully love your brand and you're in a position to actually send out surveys and get some details on new products as well. Yeah, I think that's one of the beauties of selling online, right? That you actually can iterate very, very quickly. And so then you can really figure out and deliver the best product to your customers, which is, um, which is awesome. And another thing I'll add with that as well, which uh, I think is incredible when it comes to product development, is when you're looking to launch a new product, you've got this worldwide web of tens of thousands of reviews on the products that you're, you're interested in launching. And so you, know, you think back 10, 20 years, you did a lot of focus groups, um, a lot of qualitative analysis, which, which still is important, but you can derive a lot of insight from just reading Amazon reviews on products of, of what other people have done and, you know, kind of build a product off of what features should and we shouldn't have based on the, the core keywords that you're continuing to see within different product listings of competitors. So what's next on the horizon for Caraway? What do you have currently cooking? Sure. Well, we just had an exciting launch this week, our full bloom collection with three new colors. Always fun to do new color launches and our, our audience loves it. We're called Caraway Home for a reason. We have, we have big aspirations to expand far outside of cookware. And so you know, while I can't say what's next, we've got, you know, a ton of exciting new products coming and colors and and partnerships. You know, you may have seen we launched with Crate and Barrel in in February and are starting to really dip our toes into what Caraway looks like in retail and in the real world. And so while cookware and direct-to-consumer were kind of the entry points into the market, we're excited to expand to some new categories and also test some new distribution channels. I love the new colors. Um, I saw it the other day and they look 
really cool. Talk to me a little bit about Crate and Barrel and, and how you thinking about retail. When did you realize it was the right moment in order to think about the wholesale channel? So we actually started building retail relationships probably from the day that I thought of Caraway or, or you know, very early pre-launch. I think in my head, we always saw direct-to-consumer as a, a launch channel and, and a way to get to market and would still always be a big part of our business. But when you think about the kitchen, and I, I don't think this is true of every category, but the kitchen in particular, you're buying new products when you're getting married, when you're moving into new home, changing maybe lifestyles of, of you know, wanting to live healthier. And for our mission, especially on cookware, which is to replace Teflon from the market, you know, I always say this, in order to actually do that, we physically need to get our product onto shelf instead of the Teflon products. And so you know, I think retail for us is a great opportunity to make ceramic a bigger share of the market, but also reach customers when they're buying for their home and in key life moments where our product assortment is too small for them on our website. You know, they want to be buying plates and glasses and furniture. And that's what a lot of these retailers can offer is, is the expanded home when you're buying for these key moments. And hopefully Caraway is part of that purchase. No, that makes sense. Do you also think about as well having like a D2C retail offering, whether it's like a Caraway store or Caraway pop-ups? Yeah, we're definitely interested in that. A lot comes down to priority these days, and it takes a lot of effort to get a store up and running. And for us, we're really interested in just starting with our retail partners who have big footprints and you know, having those as the places that we can send our customers. And over time, I think re- retail own brick and mortar is super exciting for us. Um, I think there's a, a ton of opportunity there. If you think off the top of your head, there, there's not many kitchen uh, retail br- stores out there. And so um, something we're excited about, but I think the the brand itself will need to be more mature before we head in that direction. Cool. No, that makes sense. What's the best piece of advice that you've received? I don't remember who told me this, or maybe I've I've heard it from multiple founders or, or individuals out there, but there are so many opportunities when you're starting a company. And one of the hardest things to do is to prioritize and to figure out where to focus. So probably some of the best advice I've gotten is to find something that works really well and just keep doing that and don't get distracted from you know, doing what works. It's, so, it's so hard to find one thing that works. And so you know, I think staying focused and uh, not going too wide too fast is super important. Totally. I remember talking to Mark Ganey, who's the founder of Strava, that said he was focusing on one core customer set for years and then eventually expanded. In his case, it was cyclists. And then he also didn't want to make them feel isolated. So when he was talking about uh, Strava for runners, he actually built another app for runners. Uh, so there was two apps. But um, so, but he was very focused on particular audience set. Yeah, I I completely agree. My final question to you is, what's one piece of advice that you have for founders who are currently building? I, I would say build your business before you build your product. I think a lot of people do it the reverse, where every founder is deeply tied to their product and what they're launching. And you know, it's sometimes easy to forget you need to build a good business behind it. And, and many people don't focus on the margins or think about how the pricing that they're going out to market with will affect the, the business model. And so we did this at Caraway, but being really mindful of the unit economics that go into your product, how long does it take to be profitable? Can you be profitable on the first purchase? Um, I think these are things that can all be solved before you launch the, the product. And 
uh, I say this to a lot of founders, but you, you really only get to price your product once. And so, you know, make sure you price it right where you can have a great business behind it. It's really hard to go back and change it. And even if you price it a little higher um, or, or do a different strategy to go out the doors to make sure the business model works and, and growth is a little slower at the beginning, it's going to save you a lot of time down the road and that growth eventually come. And so, you know, I think making sure that the business is there and strong before you launch is extremely, extremely important. What was your method to or your approach to pricing? Sure. In general, as a brand, we want to sit on the premium side and for us to offer the best products we can, we really can't go anything lower. But I think for Caraway in particular, um, you know, our goal is to be accessible. You know, I, I understand we're at $400, but there are many cookware sets out there that are priced much higher. And so in, in general, we try to sit kind of at the, the lower end of premium where we can. I will say there are potentially new categories we're going into where we could be the highest because there have never been high quality products in those categories. And so for us, it's important that the products are as nice as they can be. They last you a long time. So you're not you know, creating a lot of waste and everything we price is to be profitable on the first purchase. And, you know, you can work off your, your costs and your, and your margins. And, uh, that has to be done before you launch the product. It's, it's so hard to move the price up once you're, once you're out there. Jordan, thank you so much for your time. This has been a lot of fun. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. And there you have it. It was good fun having Jordan on the show. I hope you all enjoyed it as much as I did. I'd love it if you'd write a review on the Apple Podcasts. You're also welcome to follow me, your host, Mike, on Twitter, at Mike Gelb, and also follow for episode announcements at ConsumerVC. Thanks for listening, everyone. 